1: On November 13th, 2015, Megan Hyatt was busy packing up her belongings when her partner showed up unexpectedly. She was leaving him and taking their five-month-old twin daughters with her. Join me now as we take a look into a tumultuous relationship that erupted into a fatal altercation, leaving two families shocked and heartbroken. You'll also hear about one woman's perseverance and determination to fulfill her purpose, finally bringing an end to her silence. Megan Hyatt was born on October 15, 1993, to Travis and Melissa Hyatt. The couple had looked forward to having children, and were overjoyed when they learned Megan wouldn't be arriving alone. Megan and her twin brother, Tyler, were inseparable from the moment they took their first breaths.
2: We were best friends growing up, I want to say, until like probably like sixth grade. And then I was like, ew, my brother, I don't like him. But really, I love my brother.
1: The twins were born in Jacksonville, Florida, home to pristine white beaches, crashing surf, and flourishing city streets.
2: So we grew up in Arlington, which is... Uh, area of town in Jacksonville, Florida and I want to say that when I was younger it was probably a nicer neighborhood, but as I grew up it just kind of went downhill. You know, there wasn't any violence really or anything like that, it just was a neighborhood. I was raised in a very sheltered life as far as relationships go. I didn't have my first boyfriend until I was 18.
1: As Megan got older life at the Hyatt home was becoming unstable.
2: My parents divorced when me and my brother were 12 we decided to do 50 50 custody for a little bit but then it just was draining me and my brother so we decided to live with my dad and visit my mom but the rules between both of our parents was we could go to whoever's house whenever we wanted we didn't follow the legalities of supervision or whatever of our time like if I wanted to go to my mom's I'd just call my mom and go and let my dad know where I was going
1: Although life with divorced parents wasn't easy on Megan and Tyler, they both managed to cope in different ways. For Megan, some struggles were harder than others.
2: From 12 to 19, I was anorexic. I went to rehab for anorexia along with some other things. I mean, it just overtook me.
1: While battling anorexia, Megan weathered through the trials of high school, focusing on her studies, never really feeling the urge to date. She was far too focused on her education and future life ambitions.
2: I graduated high school at Atlantic Coast, and I was in the first graduating class in 2012. We were the first senior class at that school, and um, I then proceeded to work three jobs and go to school.
1: But between her frantic work and school schedules, Megan found herself beginning to long for companionship it'd been difficult to meet someone naturally with everything she was juggling. And so like many other singles, Megan turned to a popular dating website.
2: I was 20. And at this point I was just working two jobs and going to school. And I was on a dating website, Plenty of Fish, and met Rush. And we messaged back and forth for about two weeks.
1: Megan describes what it was about Russia's profile that instantly had her interested.
2: One, like I grew up in a military town, so I just, I had a lot of respect for people in the Navy and uh, because we had two Navy bases in the Jacksonville Metroplex. And I just admired that, you know, and then on top of that, he had a motorcycle. I had a motorcycle, which I had just bought in mine. I barely knew how to ride it. You know, we talked about him teaching me how to ride my motorcycle. He just was so sweet and so, like, overly nice.
1: Although Rush was six years older than Megan, he was handsome and charming, not to mention successful.
2: He had a home. He had multiple cars. He had multiple motorcycles. He had a job, health care, all kinds of things that, you know, when you're in that, age of trying to find a husband, those are things you look for is, are they good with money? Are they a family person? He was just knocking every single check mark off my box. Just the way he spoke to his mom, I was just like, oh wow, Like this is how I would want my future husband to talk to his mom and just how he loved and cared for her and wanted to make sure she was okay.
1: At age nine, Rush's family immigrated to the U.S. from Jamaica. And after graduating high school, Rush began his career in the Navy as an aircraft mechanic. Megan recalls her first date with Rush at the base.
2: Our first date, he snuck me onto the Navy base, into where he was working. And we were just hanging out. He was showing me the helicopters, letting me sit in them. I just was taken back. I was like, wow, this is a strong man who's knowledgeable about mechanics of a helicopter. Like, that just took me back. I was like, wow. thought he was really educated just by the way he carried himself and spoke.
1: For the first few days, everything seemed perfect with Rush. However, looking back now, Megan believes there were early warning signs she missed.
2: There was this time he didn't text me for two days, which I didn't, think it was anything I mean we weren't boyfriend girlfriend at that point we weren't anything so I was just like okay whatever it really wasn't a big deal and then like when he texted me two days later he's like oh my gosh hey sorry very overly apologetic for not communicating with me which I appreciated back then and for me I I don't know what attracted me to someone ignoring me for two days you know that's now I look back and I'm like wow like I can't believe I dealt with that but Being 20 years old, young, naive, just wanting someone to love me, you know, I dealt with a lot of things that now I would never deal with.
1: Not even a week into their relationship, Megan and Rush got into their first argument.
2: I don't even know why we were arguing because I was just like, what is going on here? And my motorcycle was at his place because he had been teaching me switching through the gears and um, working on my throttle control. I don't remember what it was, but he's like, come get your motorcycle, I'm done. I was upset, um, but I went and got my motorcycle and then I went to my girlfriend Kayla's house. It was like 8 in the morning. I got a text message from him saying, hey, can you go check the garage and see if I shut it? I was like, whoa, like whiplash. It was just strange to me. I was like, but because I wanted to appease him, I wanted to make him happy, I cared for him, I went and did it. That was his way of testing me. Because I feel like if I wasn't so young and naive, I would have been like, no, bro, that's not my problem. Figure it out yourself. But I literally drove 30 minutes from my friend's house all the way to his house just to make sure the garage door was closed. And that was his way of testing me. And that was his way of figuring what he could get away with and how far he could go.
1: After two months of dating... Megan moved into Rush's home in Oceanway, and she couldn't have been happier. Rush had wanted a partner who took on the traditional role of homemaker, and Megan was all too eager to oblige.
2: Back then, I wanted to be that stay-at-home mom who raised kids, but still had an education. Still, could go out after the kids were school-aged and bring money to the table, you know, for our family and for our future. I didn't mind being a stay-at-home mom. That was something I wanted.
1: After living together for a while, Megan started noticing small changes in Rush's behavior, finding small imperfections in everything she did, including what she ate.
2: I was making this like potato stroganoff thing. It's like potatoes, beef and cream. It's it's really carby, it's really heavy food. It's more of a Southern thing. And I made him a plate and I made myself a plate. And he was like, you're gonna eat that? And he's like, Megan, you can't eat that. And I said, why? And he's like, you can't eat what I eat. And I was like, what are you trying to get at? And he told me I was fat and needed to lose weight. And I was like, so angry. And I went in my room and locked the door. And then he's like banging on the door, trying to get me out, which just scared me. And I was like, I'm not getting out of here until you calm down. Like, no, you called me fat. You hurt my feelings. And he's like, but you are. And then he made me believe that, he was right and that I was fat and that he was just trying to tell me the truth and he didn't mean to come off hurtful. But that's exactly what he meant to do.
1: Soon, Megan's teenage battle with anorexia began to resurface and in less than a month, she lost over 20 pounds.
2: I would always make his lunches and send him off with breakfast and all of that. And then when he would come home, if if I wasn't working, I would have dinner and He said again to my face that I needed to eat differently. You know, he's so skinny, he doesn't have a problem with what he eats, and I need to work harder to eat better. So I ended up getting a gym membership.
1: As Megan tried to be the version of herself she thought Rush would be most happy with, he abruptly ended the relationship on October 20th, 2014.
2: He broke up with me because I wasn't a good enough woman for him. He deserved better.
1: Still living under Rush's roof, Megan set about trying to find another place for herself when some surprising news came up.
2: I got off work early, went to the store, got a pregnancy test, went home and I took the test and it immediately lit up with a plus sign, like didn't even need to wait three minutes. I was like, oh gosh, I'm really pregnant.
1: News of her pregnancy changed everything for Megan, uncertain about what to do. She knew she needed to tell Rush, but was nervous about how he would react.
2: So he gets home from work. I asked him, hey, can you come upstairs so we can have a conversation? He's like, no, you know, I always like to take a nap when I get home from work. Why don't you go start our dinner? And I was like, no, I think we really need to have a conversation. And he's like, "Mm, no, you're not going to tell me what to do. And I was like, okay. So I threw the pregnancy test and it hit him in the forehead. He looked at it and he's like, is this for real? and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm I'm pregnant." And he's like, "This can't be right." And he started screaming and yelling at God, I guess, and walked outside, slammed the front door, and was just yelling at the sky. And I was crying because this is not how I pictured telling any man I was pregnant with their child.
1: After about 5 minutes, Rush came back inside, suddenly appearing happy, "Megan was pregnant."
2: i was so confused at how someone could go like their moods could switch on and off on and off in a matter of minutes it just it didn't compute with with my brain
1: megan and rush agreed they wanted their child to grow up with both parents although megan was wary the relationship wasn't stable enough to raise a child together she wanted to give it a shot the next month megan set off with her mother for her first ultrasound Perhaps it was because she was a twin herself, or maybe it was her mother's intuition. Megan knew there had to be more than one baby.
2: It was the last week in November. My mom and I are sitting at my OPGYN's office. We're sitting there. I'm anxious. I'm nervous. They confirm that I'm pregnant. And then we go to the ultrasound room, and I'm like panicking. And then they do the ultrasound. And we saw one baby. And in my head, I'm thinking, there's another one. I know there's another one. And I I asked, are you sure there's only one? And my mom's like, my mom is ecstatic because she's in the room with me. She's like, look at the baby, blah, blah, blah. And, And I'm like, are you sure there's not another one? And they're like, no. And she's like, well, let me double check. And she like moves the ultrasound. You see another baby as she flashes by. And I was like, I saw something. I saw a baby. And she's like, went back and she's like, oh, well. I guess you're right, Miss Hyatt, you're having twins.
1: Although Megan was excited to be carrying twins, she couldn't help but feel nervous about making the announcement to Rush. He'd already struggled with the knowledge of one baby. She had no idea how he'd react to twins.
2: And I'm like losing my mind. I'm out of breath. I don't know what to do. I was like, I gotta call Rush right now. And I call him and I'm sitting there and I'm like, um, there's two. And he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, there's twins. And he's like, oh my gosh. And he just was very quiet. I have never seen that side of him where he just was lost for words. And he's like, I gotta go, but I'll call you back.
1: Megan's expected delivery date was June the following year. She also learned the twins were girls. But as excited as Megan was about her pregnancy, the instability of her relationship with Rush continued, with the couple often struggling to see eye to eye including agreeing on the girls' names.
2: So when we found out we were going to have girls, names were always something that me and him struggled with. He wanted to pick out the first names, and I was allowed to pick out the middle names. And I told him I didn't want anything rhymy. I just wanted them to have the same letter. And I knew I wanted to name one of our daughters Rose because my middle name was Rose and my grandmother's middle name was Rose. And I figured Rose and Reese would be really cute together. It just had a ring to it. Then he told me that he wanted to name them Hayden and Caden. And I'm like, I don't want rhyming names. And he's like, oh, but we'll call them by their middle name. And I was like, you promise? And he's like, yes, of course.
1: Born on June 8th, 2015, the girls required round-the-clock care because of their small size. Hormonal and exhausted after surgery... Megan was shocked by what seemed to be concerning Rush the most.
2: Three days after the girls were born, he asked me when I was going to lose the weight in front of the nurses. He's like, so when are you going to start losing the weight? That is the least of my worries. Our children are in the NICU. They can't go home. I can't even hold them yet. And you're worried about my weight?
1: Faced with the upsetting news, the twins would have to stay in the NICU unit for the next several weeks, Megan cried as she and Rush left the hospital.
2: I'm crying and we're in the elevator and other people are in the elevator at the hospital and we are I'm like crying so bad because I didn't want to leave Reese and Rose. I wanted to stay there and it was a 24-hour NICU so I could stay there if I wanted to. And he started screaming at me. He's like, I don't understand why you're effing crying. You need to grow the F up and realize that this is part of it. You need to be home with me. And... The next day, I packed a bag and went up to the NICU and never left.
1: At one point, Rush was completely barred from the NIC unit after another argument broke out between the couple.
2: Rush started screaming at me, cussing me out, and told me basically that I needed to find a place to live and me and the girls were not welcome and he would sign away his parental rights. I'm crying upset because, well, one, now me and my daughters don't have anywhere to live. I called my mom and she said, Don't worry about it. We'll take care of it.
1: Around the second week of the girls' stay at the NICU, Rush appeared at the hospital again, this time calmly asking Megan's permission to see the girls.
2: He's like, is it okay if I stay the night? He bought an overnight bag and we just spent time with the girls and he apologized and was just so loving and tender and kind just wanting to feed the girls and do skin to skin and just cuddle with me and have the girls in our arms. And it was honestly like the way I wanted it to be the whole time that we had been there. It was that whiplash of never being able to figure out how he was going to react and never knowing how he would treat me. And it's like being on a teacups at Disney World. You just keep going different directions. And sometimes you spin faster, other times you spin slower. There was never a way of knowing what to expect.
1: As Megan watched Rush interacting with their daughters, she couldn't help but feel intense relief and happiness.
2: Rush was actually a really good dad. He would get up in the middle of the night and help me feed them. He would, every day at 7, 7.30 was bath time. He would bathe them and I would feed them their nighttime bottle and read to them. And everything flowed really well.
1: As Rush and Megan spent the next several weeks adjusting to the new roles, the twins' personalities gradually started to emerge, cementing them as very unique little people, despite their identical appearances.
2: Rose was always the smaller one, and she was just a little spitfire. She wanted what she wanted, and she wanted it now. She just had this sass to her. You could just see her just wanting to just interact and speak. And then Brice, she was always very observant. She was always the quiet one of the two. She she just wanted to just observe. She would just watch. She wanted to sit up, and she just wanted to watch. They loved to be together they wanted to be together all the time or hear each other they just needed each other and we tried putting them into we had two cribs and we tried a couple nights of separating them into two cribs and it did not work they would cry all night they just wanted to be next to each other so we ended up putting them in the same crib
1: when it came to caring for the girls the couple seemed to make a great team However, the instability of their relationship continued to linger. In fact, it was getting worse.
2: Rush never hit me. Later on, as I started to research domestic violence, I realized that physical abuse is not just hitting. It's things being thrown at you. It's blocking you in from being able to move. It's different things. So had he ever physically laid his hands on me? Absolutely not. But as far as him throwing things, he threw a table at me when the girls were three months old. There was lots of sexual abuse after the girls were born. That was something that had never happened before.
1: Exhausted from caring for newborn twins on top of postpartum depression, Megan repeatedly begged Rush to be gentler with her.
2: The girls were about a month and a half old, and I left... And went and stayed with my mom because it was a downhill spiral. It was just nothing was changing. I asked him to treat me differently. I asked him to be more tender and loving, given that you know my, I'm emotionally, hormonally imbalanced, and I'm struggling with depression. And he just did not care. And so I went and lived with my mom for about I would say about a month.
1: Following her short reprieve, Megan returned back to Russia's home. Although she was skeptical things would be different this time, Megan was desperate for the girls to have a complete family. Unfortunately, the situation didn't improve. For the next few months, Megan navigated an increasingly erratic home life and described what it felt like to walk on eggshells whenever Rush was around.
2: There was this distinct one time he told me if I ever effing left that he would destroy me because I told him, I was like, I can't do this anymore. You're too, you're too up and down. Like, I I don't want to raise our daughters in the up and down relationship. You got to make a choice. You're either going to change or you're, you know, we'll do 50-50 custody. I'm crying and he like pulled me by my hair and forced me on the bed. And uh, I had my phone in my hand and he like ripped off my pants and he kept trying to call my dad and my mom while he's forcing me to have sex because he thought it would be funny. And he called my dad. I hung up the phone. He called my dad. I hung up the phone. He called my mom. I hung up the phone. The third time he called my dad, I hung up the phone and threw it across the room. My dad had called me multiple times and I just didn't feel like talking to him. The next day I talked to him and explained to him what happened. And I only heard my dad cry two times in my life. One was when he was begging my mom to come back to him, and two, the second time was when I told my dad what Rush had did to me and what he had been doing to me, and my dad basically told me, either you're going to leave willingly, or I'm going to come and drag you out of that house.
1: Megan knew her children couldn't thrive in an unstable environment where their mother lived in fear of her own partner. Either Rush needed to seek treatment, or their relationship would need to be over.
2: And so... Throughout the week, I was waiting until he was on duty and knew that he wouldn't be able to come home until he finished duty. And that was Friday the 13th, which was the day he had duty. I packed him extra snacks, acted like nothing was going on, packed his coffee, made his breakfast, packed him everything and anything he could possibly need for the day. And then my dad got off work around, I want to say like one o'clock. And then he was at me and Rush's house and he was helping me pack up things. And um, my best friend at the time, Sarah, was there as well.
1: Before Megan left with the girls, she decided to call Rush at work so he wouldn't be surprised when they were gone.
2: I had called him and told him that, you know, things weren't working out. I would never take the girls away from him. And anytime he wanted to see them, I'd be more than happy to drive them to him. He's more than happy to come out and see them. But that I was tired of the drama. I didn't need any of this. I needed to be in a healthy relationship. And he needed to get help. And once he got that help, then we could re-look at being together again. But I was not going to deal with his crap anymore. But I told him I wouldn't leave until he came home. So he could see the girls for an hour or two before I went to my mom's.
1: While on the phone with Rush, Megan could hear the anger in his voice.
2: Said if I left, he was going to effing kill me. And I was like, whoa, that's extreme. And he's like, leave and see what happens. And then I hear somebody in the background, which I imagine was somebody that he was on duty with, and they said, hurry up, Rush, let's go inside. Cut it out, man. And he was like, we'll, t- we'll finish this when I get home. And I just thought he was just mad. I just thought he was upset, which is why I didn't want to stay because I knew he was upset and mad. I intended to leave before he got back. I didn't want to see him blow up. I didn't want my girls to be around someone screaming and yelling at me. And But I figured what was the worst that he would do to me? Is anything really going to happen? Like, I, di- I didn't think anything dramatic would happen. I just didn't want to deal with him blowing up at me and being emotional again.
1: Although Megan had been witness to Russia's temper, she could have never have imagined what he was fully capable of.
2: He shows up at three, shaking. He goes into the kitchen, unpacking packing up the formula and the baby food. And he takes off his khaki top because he was in his black slacks with the khaki top on. And you could hear his shoes, like, tapping against the floor. And he's shaking. And he asked my dad if my dad would go outside so me and him could have a conversation. And my dad said, Megan, if you need anything, I'll be right outside. And I said, thank you, Daddy. And then my dad walks outside. The front door is open. Me and Rush are feeding the girls. He's feeding Reese. I'm feeding Rose. And he's shaking. He's shaking so bad that the the nipple of the bottle won't even stay in Reese's mouth. And he's just trembling. And he asked me if I'm really gone. Am I really gone? And I said, yes. He's like, so the the truck is packed. You're leaving. I said, yes. He's like, will you ever be back? I said, I don't know. He's like, so we're done. And I said, yes. I was like, if you want to get help and we can go to counseling, we can work on being together. But as of right now, I cannot be in this environment anymore. You are manipulative. You are abusive. And I can't. And he's like, so we're over? I said, yes. So he throws Reese on the couch. I pick up Reese. He goes and shuts the front door and looks at me and says, I'm going to show you what over is, bitch. And I knew right then and there, I knew what was in that closet. I knew the AR-15 was fully loaded in that closet. And I knew, I knew right then when he grabbed that gun, I knew I was screaming. And he said, I'm going to murder your dad and you're going to watch.
1: The commotion drew Megan's dad back inside, despite Megan screaming for him to run.
2: So I'm screaming, telling my dad, don't come in, don't come in, run, please call 911. But what would any dad do? He ran through that front door and Rush just unloaded the gun in him. And I... I was thinking, I gotta get out of here, I gotta get out of the house, I can't be in here. But my dad's by the front door and there's bullets flying over there. How am I, I can't crawl through the window. I have both my babies in my arm, the only, I have to run. And I run from one couch to the next, look at him. He points the gun at me and shoots me.
1: Dimly aware she'd been hit, Megan heard more shots fired before everything fell silent, even the twins.
2: When they were in my arms and they were clinging onto my shirt. Grabbing and screaming so loud. And then they just went silent and limp in my arms, and I knew. I knew that he had killed them. I didn't know how he killed them. I didn't know it was in the back of their head. But I knew that they were dead because they were just lifeless in my arms.
1: Rush then turned the gun on himself. In less than a few minutes, the people Megan loved most in the world had all been shot. Megan's dad had been fatally injured after trying multiple times to get to his feet, only to be forced back down with more gunfire.
2: I talked to my dad and he's like, I had to keep getting up. Megan, I had to keep getting up. I was like, why? Why did you do that? And he was like, because when more bullets went into me, there wouldn't be any for you and race and Rose.
1: Although Megan could hear sirens, no one had arrived at the house yet. That's when Megan decided she needed to try and call 911 herself. What she didn't know was that her best friend Sarah had managed to escape the house and summoned help from a neighbor.
2: So when I hear the ambulances, no one's coming close, I decided and I had to get to a phone. I can hear Rush's phone ringing over and over, and I can hear it in the kitchen, but I knew I couldn't make it to the kitchen. And I look over at my dad, and his phone is right next to him. So I sit up, I cover my daughters with a blanket, and I basically butt scoot all the way around Rush. I basically pick my leg up, and I can hear it crunch over and over again, every time I pick it up and put it as far as I can and scoop and um, just slide my butt and just use my arms and just try to, try to get to the phone. I finally get to the phone and my dad is there.
1: Before paramedics arrived on the scene, Megan exchanged final words with her dad that will stay with her for the rest of her life.
2: One of the first things my dad asked me as he's laying on the floor bleeding out and I'm sitting there, he asked if Rush is dead and I said... He's dying right now, and he says, where are the girls? And I told my dad, they're quiet. They're quiet, Daddy. They're not here anymore. <laughs> and he said, don't worry, baby girl. I will watch over them in heaven. He's like, I'm not going to make it. And I was like, no, Dad, you have to make it. You have to be here. He's like, I'm, I'm, I can't make it. He's like, Megan, I just can't. And he kept screaming out in pain. And the sounds he was making was just so awful.
1: While Megan continued to wait for EMTs to arrive, she lay on top of her father's body, doing everything she could to stop the bleeding.
2: And my dad's quiet at this point. he's just making noises. And I knew he was I knew he was close to the end of his life. I'm trying to get on my dad, put weight on his chest where he was shot, trying to put weight to keep him from bleeding out. And um, and every time I tried to get up on him, but I, I was in so much pain because I was shot in, the, in all in my abdomen. And I kept trying to get myself on top of him. But every time I leaned farther and put more weight on my dad, he moaned out even more pain. And I knew that there was nothing I could do. So I sat there right Leaned up against him, waiting for nine one one, and I'm looking outside. I finally see a cop car, and then it reverses back. The cops that showed up that day—they come in, they clear the scene, and then my dad took his last breath when he knew the cops were there. He he exhaled his last breath, and I knew that he was gone. All these different rescuers—they put me on a tarp and carry me to the ambulance and then I'm gone and I'm in the ambulance and I am in so much pain because my adrenaline is, is is no longer there, but I'm awake every single minute, every single second until I'm in the trauma room and I'm begging for them to put me asleep.
1: For Megan, the hard part was just beginning riddled with bullet wounds and severely traumatized she was left with deep pain and mental scarring
0: i
2: was shot in the face it went through my right eyebrow broke my nose into my left eye pocket i no longer have an eye in that socket i have a prosthetic eye i was shot in the left wrist i was shot in the right breast i was shot in the abdomen in two different areas. I was shot in the left leg in two different areas. I had to grow six inches of bone in my thigh bone and um, six inches of bone in in the leg bone underneath the knee.
1: The following days were spent in a blur between waking and unconsciousness, a heavy blanket of despair and terror that never lifted as Megan fought for what was left of her life. Each time she became conscious, Memories flooded her mind of what she'd lost and endured. On November 23rd, 2015, just 10 days after Megan's world was shattered, funerals were held for Reese, Rose, and her father, Travis. Still badly wounded, Megan had to attend while laying on a stretcher.
2: The church was full. I was able to see my dad, and I was able to hold my daughter's hands one last time, which was ironic because when I welcomed them into this world, I held their hands as they were in the incubators, and I held their hands when I let them out of this world.
1: For five years, Megan endured more pain than most can imagine. The scars of her mind, however run deeper than any physical wound could.
2: My PTSD was so bad that I couldn't answer doors. someone knocked on the door, I would panic. I would hide in my closet. I would cry if there was fireworks or loud noises. If we were at the beach and we were at a restaurant that was playing Jamaican music, I would panic. If I saw any man in uniform, I would panic. It was it was so hard. It was so hard.
1: Megan later filed a lawsuit with the U.S. Navy, convinced more could have been done to prevent Rush from annihilating her family. Not only had he left his post without permission, his shipmates also had overheard him threatening Megan over the phone. The lawsuit sought $75,000 in damages, to help pay for the countless surgeries Megans needed. However, the lawsuit was thrown out. The federal courts explained that the Navy wasn't responsible for the private actions of their officers. Years before, Rush had multiple run-ins with the law for domestic violence. According to a 2013 police report, Rush had been charged with domestic battery by strangulation in a previous relationship. After filing an injunction for protection against Rush, he was ordered to complete a steep batterer's intervention course. A year later, Rush had an altercation with another girlfriend who shot him in the groin.
2: He told me she was just crazy. She was the crazy ex-girlfriend and she shot him. And when I looked up her record, it said that she had like attempted murder or something like that. So I just thought she was the crazy ex-girlfriend. I never heard anything like that, like... Why would anybody just shoot somebody just because? I thought, of course she's crazy. Who would do that? Well, me and the girl are really good friends now. And it is insane how many things he did with her that he did the same thing with me and how he just figured how much harder he could go to, you know, destroying us. He basically did the same thing with every single girl he'd ever been with, was just test them to see how far he could go.
1: A Navy spokesperson said Russia's Navy command took what he called appropriate administrative action when notified of the 2013 and 2014 incidents. The action included counseling, but no further details were released. Megan chose not to appeal her case. Instead, she was determined to make a difference in other people's lives if she could. Unwilling to give up on spreading the word of her own tragedy... Megan set up a Facebook page called No More Silence to honor her daughter's and father's memory and to give a voice to intimate partner violence victims and survivors.
2: A huge part of my healing has been helping other people, trying to give advice, trying to create open conversation with others about what abuse is and how can we handle that? How can we create a safety plan? How can we leave and not end in the same way? that my story ended
1: that day. Half a decade later, Megan now speaks across the country, bringing awareness to warning signs in relationships. Dr. Christina Forzani explains how disturbingly common intimate partner violence is and how fatal it can be.
0: Intimate partner violence, which used to be referred to as domestic violence, is very dangerous and lethal at times. And I know that that sounds obvious, but it's more dangerous than is typically even realized. In 2018, 20% of violent crime was intimate partner violence, and 19% of intimate partner violence involved a weapon. Half of female murder victims are actually killed by their partners. Usually, intimate partner violence involves much more than just physical abuse. Abusers feel threatened by any empowerment or assertiveness that's demonstrated by their partner, and they use coercion or threats to manipulate their partners. They use intimidation to make a partner feel afraid, like throwing something or smashing things, or even displaying weapons where the partner will be reminded of them or can see them every day. Abusers may control money to prevent their partner from getting a job or doing activities independently. And abusers who are male often use male privilege. And I know that this is heteronormative, gender normative, but these are a lot of the examples statistically. They tell female partners that they have to obey him and they set an expectation that the woman should serve the man. Criticizing or confusing a partner is also a form of abuse, and it leaves the partner more susceptible to other forms of abuse. It kind of chips away at their trust in their own intuition, and that makes them separate from their, their support system, their family, their friends, be less open to feedback when the support system tries to, to help or to step in and give warnings. And then when the victim tries to point out the patterns of the abuser... The abuser denies that the abuse is even happening or blames the victim, and that leads to further isolation because then the victim feels like they are in the wrong. If a history of intimate partner violence includes harming pets or children or has led to serious injury like hospitalization or results in court cases, legal issues, the risk that uh, the abuse will happen again later on and more intensely in that relationship or in a new relationship is higher.
1: It's impossible to know exactly what was going on in Rush's mind the day he walked in on Megan packing up to leave. But Megan believes it's possible he was dealing with untreated mental health issues. I never in a
2: million years would have ever imagined him murdering them. I just, that thought never came to my mind. When November 13th came and and my children were murdered in my arms, I just was such at a loss that that thought even came to his mind. Like, How is that even a thought? I just, I couldn't understand it. As far as the way he handled them and held them and talked to them and interacted with them and loved them. He was anything and everything you could imagine in a dad.
1: Although Megan works every day to heal from her trauma, she's come to realize she'll never fully be healed.
2: I will never be fully healed. There's no such thing because every day, every week, every month, there's a new trial that comes with this, whether it be with my leg and needing more surgeries or my mentality or trying to work on the way my emotions are and how I'm handling situations. And there's no being 100% healed. That, That doesn't exist. How do I handle dates? The girl's birthday is June 8th, and then the anniversary of the shooting is November 13th, Mother's Day. My dad's birthday is June 3rd. How am I going to handle that? I don't have my dad here anymore.
1: In a Father's Day Facebook post dated June 21st, 2020, Megan wrote To the man who sacrificed his life for me, to the man that gave me the ultimate gift, to the man that's watching over my sweet baby girls in heaven, to the man that was so wise. To the man that loved his children and grandchildren endlessly, giving everything he could. To the man that would come to the NICU every day on his lunch break to see Reese and Rose. My father was strong. He was wise. He was so giving. My dad is the definition of what a father should be. I miss him so much. Despite the long and painful road to recovery, Megan remains optimistic about her future.
2: I want to be married, but I'm not rushing anything. Um, When the time comes, the time comes. And I would love to have children again. I am very blessed that even though I was shot in the upper and lower abdomen, that my baby-making parts were not damaged. And I would love to have children
1: When the days run together and her sadness overwhelms her, Megan pushes on for what she believes is a higher purpose.
2: I knew I was going to live. I knew I had a purpose. I had no doubt in my mind that I would make it. And I knew right then and there, I knew what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I knew my purpose was to make sure that this didn't happen to anybody else. The best way I knew how, I didn't want anybody to have to experience what I experienced. And I would have loved, loved to have died that day. It would have been easier to die that day than it was for the past five years to get up every day and try to make sense of everything and something that gives me purpose is sharing my dad and my daughters and my story that gives me strength to know that they did not die in vain and that they there was purpose
1: through the help of her family and community megan has forced her life back on track and has even found a new partner named joe in fact they recently got engaged.
2: I I can't imagine my life any differently. He is just so supportive and caring. And when my anxiety gets bad, I carry my daughter's stuffed animals. I snuggle them because that gives me peace. And the other day we were watching TV and he put the little fox on his shoulder, like the fox was watching TV with him. And I look over and it just made me smile so big that he would support me in such a way so simple
1: Throughout Megan's ordeal her family has remained her lifeline especially her twin Tyler who continues to be her rock through thick and thin Despite everything Megan's mother also lost that tragic day she said she could never bring herself to hate rush for his actions because she knows a mother also lost her son that day She just wishes, Rush felt there were other options. Megan's personal account of the events paints a tragic picture of a fractured relationship where warning signs were missed, ending with the worst possible outcome for both sides. Two families lost treasured people, and while time has allowed for gradual healing, it can never recover what is gone. Today, when Megan looks to find peace... She visits the cemetery where her precious babies and father are buried. When she's there, she reads to the girls from the children's book, Wherever you are, my love will find you. If you're still my small babe, or you're all the way grown, my promise to you is you're never alone. You are my angel, my darling, my star, and my love will find you wherever you are. I'd like to give a huge thank you to Megan Hyatt for sharing her harrowing story. If you'd like to learn more about Megan and her journey, we'll include links in the episode notes. And a special thanks for Dr. Christina Forzani for sharing her insights in this episode. I also want to give a quick update. Since we published our episode two weeks ago, we found out last week that Megan and Joe were getting married. So we reached out to our online community, and a bunch of listeners chipped in with us, and we had some flowers and some treats sent to Megan and Joe's room at their hotel. So I want to thank everyone who helped make Megan and Joe's day a little extra special, and I have to give an extra special thanks to Byron Laszlo he owns Weekly Floral in Dallas. They're a floral design studio serving downtown Dallas and the immediate surrounding area. When Byron found out what we were trying to do, he was so helpful in getting everything organized. So from all of our listeners and everyone at Team Madness, we wish Megan and Joe a happy and healthy life together. And now I would like to introduce The Muck Podcast.
0: I'm Tina Haramir. And I'm Hilary Doherty. And we host the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics, and let me tell you, there are some weird ones. Girl, did you ever hear that story about how a deputy's wife practiced sex work in her home, and a local commissioner got caught up in what? it? What? Well, what about how a gun advocate senator out of California engaged in gun trafficking? I mean, what is he thinking? Hypocrite! <laughs> Capital H! Yes. Hey, we cover all that and more from Maladies, Madness, Mischief, and Murder in United States Politics. Well, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, and And check us out on social media at The Muck Podcast.
1: The Minds of Madness can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and all other podcast platforms. Ad-free episodes of this show are available on Stitcher Premium. If you would like to support this show and get some extra perks, including extra content, early release, and ad-free episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. You can find our website by going to mindsofmadnesspodcast.com To find us on Facebook and Instagram, search The Minds of Madness and on Twitter using the handle at madnesspod. And finally, the closing track, Feel the Madness, is provided by the Funkors. You can find them at the record label's website by going to goldenerrorrecords.com.au slash GE.
2: Someone standing at my door I heard they can't get in because I'm not prepared to run